Hello and welcome to Angular Rocks, podcast for those who want to know more about Angular. I'm Alexey Kuncevich. The topic for today is designing reusable components, and I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Thomas Trian. Thomas is a Google developer expert for Angular and web technologies, and he is working as a consultant and Angular trainer. Hello, Thomas. Hey, Alexey. Very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining the show. Can you uh, tell a little bit more about yourself? Of course. So my name is Thomas Trajan. I am, as Alexey said, like a Google developer expert for Angular and web technologies. Currently, I am contracting and helping like enterprise organization in Switzerland to build their Angular applications, also training their employees like with the offered workshops. I think uh, we're both excited about this topic of reusable components. Um, a while ago, actually, um, I had a conversation uh, here at Angular Rocks with Jeremy Elborn. We were talking about Angular Material and how to approach uh, components using Angular Material. And this episode is kind of a continuation of an Angular Material episode. And so my first question uh, to Thomas uh, would be, how would you decide uh, that a particular component should be reusable or not? Definitely. So... Like this question may look pretty innocent on its surface, right? So like it sounds very reasonable. So should it be reusable? Not where should we put it? But as we will see, it's usually not that simple because it always depends on like our particular situation, right? So if we are, let's say, developing a single front-end application in a small company to handle like some admin for a product, uh, basically we have like one application which contains all of our front-end code, the answer will be a bit different compared to if we have like a component library, which is then used in multiple applications, which can be still different if we are using something like NX and we have stuff in a monorepo, which supports like a very high modularization where we can almost put every component in its own like micro library or something like this. But let's start with like uh, most likely the most common use case of our like listeners, which is like, we are developing a single Angular spa, and then we have to decide how we want to implement that component. Do we want to make it like a feature specific or make it more generic because we think it's going to be used in by multiple features, right? So in that case, at least subjectively, what I often do is whenever I'm building something from scratch is that I am working on a feature, that feature is usually lazy loaded, and then I create that component in that feature first, in that feature where I first need it. I just create it as a part of that feature. Then as I keep working on my application, I keep adding features. I keep changing old features based on some feedback, based from customers, users, testers, whoever that is. And over time, some patterns tend to appear. And I usually only extract those components which seems to be that they are like a really good candidate because they look the same or they maybe look exactly the same or they can may be work in both or three or x features just by like a slight parameterization maybe with one two flags after that time i usually then extract them into kind of like a shared module so that it can be reused across but me personally i usually start with uh, providing like a feature specific solution and then over time as the patterns 
show themselves and also after a couple of rounds of feedback, then this might be like a good time to extract it and make it more reusable. Then again, of course, if uh, you are working in something like, let's say, an enterprise on a new a calculator for some product or something like that. And it was really highly specified from the start. So it's like a low chance that this will be changed a lot over the course of the development. So because it's like the fifth application in a row or whatever like this, if it's like pretty safe bet that you know already what the outcome should be. So it's like a different kind of project. Then of course it would still make sense to extract it initially because you know, you will have these five screens and on those five screens, you will have like a special widget, which will look the same because all those things are kind of known beforehand based on previous experience, right? So this could be kind of heuristics which you can use when developing like a single application. Do I make it feature specific or do I already know that this will be reused from start because of this past experience so I can already build it like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. That makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of a process there. You're making this decision based on a um, particular scenario. Basically, if you know what you do, you probably know what components will be shareable beforehand. But if you really don't know what you do, right? If there is no specification, then it's kind of a natural selection, <laughs> right? Exactly. So. <laughs> it's a very good way to put it because we need to acknowledge this, that not every project is the same, right? So yep. if you are, if you are working for some startup, there will be like much more iteration compared to if you are creating yet another calculator or some kind mm -hmm. of like admin in like established enterprise. And those things we should always consider, right? Of course, in mm -hmm. that enterprise, most likely then it's highly possible that you will already get like some library with those reusable components. So it, it all depends like on what scale we are currently. Mm -hmm. So it could be that it's really application specific, but you still know beforehand so you can extract it inside the shared of your particular application. Maybe it's like... 10 application specific or how to say so then most likely this will be will be extracted to library or it was already extracted into some component library some utility library some widget library right and i think those things like of course we are focused on angular but i think this is kind of like uh, abstract information which would apply to most of front-end development anyway right so those those are the kinds of like very useful heuristics and like acknowledgement, like that you really always should first start for looking, what is my use case? What is my environment? How many teams, how many applications? And based on that, you can make those decisions like in a pretty informed way so that most likely will make sense. Right, yeah, I agree on that. And so uh, the component is kind of a core feature of Angular. How would you design a components within a particular feature so they work together? If you see what I mean. Yeah, definitely. So whenever I like develop any kind of Angular application, for me, it's like extremely important to have like lazy loading from start. So even if I have like a single page, even my first page, even if it's implicitly navigated to it. So we have like some routing, which is like redirect slash to that feature, whatever that is like the first feature. So I always start like with the lazy loading. So even the first feature is lazy loaded because this 
enables me to then later in the future keep extending my application and everything will done will be done in the same way. So not that the first feature is like kind of eager and hard coded and those other ones are lazy. So this is kind of important because this then also sets the tone on how those components are used and fed data in the future. So if we, if we establish this kind of architecture that we have like an eager part, which has some stuff which can retrieve kind of state and data which can be then used across multiple feature but again just to stress it that this is also useful even if we have like a single page or like a single feature because it allows us to extend in the future right and then we come to that lazy feature so it could be whatever it is right and because of routing we have this first component which is holds this feature which holds this view of that feature right and then there comes those questions. So how do we want to do it in terms of like, we need to show some UI, most likely we retrieve some data. We want to show some UI, which can be very simple. We just want to display some data. Maybe it's much more complicated. There will be like some editors based on some interaction and stuff like that. Right? So, and now the next question is what kind of state management we are using, right? So maybe we have like a simple, simple application, like a very, very simple application. So then maybe we just retrieve data with the HTTP client straight in our component and we just render it. So in that case, it's basically like a simple view. I get the data. I show the data. Job is done. There is no real interaction. It's like a very simple read only. I just want to show something, right? But maybe we are building something more complicated where we know there will be some inter interaction. So then most likely also the state management and the component composition will be more structured, not just like something very simple, right? So again, it depends on the use case, what we are going for. So, and in that mm -hmm. case, we have a couple of options. Of course, we can extract the state into a service and then this service can be injected to some of those components to be able to interact with that state. So maybe just to get the data as a stream or maybe also call some service methods to perform some changes with the data, right? Or we can go for something like a really structured approach with using of a state management library like NGRX or NGXS. And then again, this has some implications. So as we said, we started like with the most simple solution. We have a component. It injects the HTTP client, gets some data or from somewhere else, renders it in a view. There are no subcomponents whatsoever. It's really like a view component, which does everything. Sometimes this is the right answer because it's also the easiest to change, right? Now, what, when it gets interesting, let's say we have a service and we have a more complicated view. So we have also some subcomponents. Now, how do we structure that? So most likely the better way to do it is to keep the interaction with that service or even the state management library for that matter to only that root component, which we usually also in practice call like something like a container component or smart component, right? Which manages like the state management which interacts with the service or the state management library and then we try to create like those presentation or view components which we try to well basically we don't want them to know about the state management solution which also allows us to then change in the future but like just to keep stuff as simple as possible so whenever like this is like a very general principle like when working with anything we want the things to know least amount of stuff possible so this is also like the principle behind those viewer presentational components which should just get data through inputs and emit events through outputs and not worry about what is the particular state management solution behind the scenes right 
So and then comes another question, what if we have like 10 levels of that, right? So then it gets kind of like complicated if you have a presentation component, a presentation component, a presentation component, then we also do not want to get into that state where we have to pass events through like the component chain up and down. And for that reason, it is usually preferable to keep it relatively flat. So maybe two, three, max four levels. So this also kind of provides us like with a pointer of how we should try to chunk our UI into components. So we, if, if we create like a component for every tiny thing that we really have to nest them 10 times, then maybe we will have a bad time. So as a heuristics, like when we are, we have a feature, we navigate to feature, right? If it's like for one level of navigation, then we should try to have there those view components for two max three levels. So that it's still like kind of best of the both worlds. We have the separation. Those components, they do not know about particular state management. They do not care. They are very isolated, which also then enables us to make them reusable later, right? Because they are not coupled to that particular business logic. So this is another benefit. But we also should not make it so tiny that we end up like with hundreds of components and 10 levels of nesting. So like a good rule of a thumb is maybe two levels like most of the time, sometimes three, okay, if it really happens, if you have an outlier of four levels, may it be. Also, if we sometimes break the rule and inject some state management in that component, which is like the fourth level, you know, when, when you really need it, that's okay. But the price for that is we are coupling it. So this makes it then harder later to reuse or change. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like a presentational components, uh, they are kind of a, a first candidate to shared folder or maybe into shared library, right? right. 100%. So as we, as we mentioned previously, right, that uh, we start with some feature, we create it, and then we expand it on that, that we will have most like those view components. And as we implement those other features, we will start realizing, oh, this view component, it would be really useful in those other features mm -hmm. or in those other applications or whatever that is, because it really seems to be that it's standardized enough that it can really cover all those use cases with the minimum of parameterization. Because that's also one thing we should always keep in mind. Sure, we can keep adding the 15th flag to make like a God component, which can cover everything. But that again, maybe that's not like the way to go. So we do not want to turn components into a framework. Like I seen that in the wild where people had like started with the tile, which turned out to be like everything and it's 15 different things, right? But if you have this very simple view component and then we see, okay, there are these three features in my application, which could really use it maybe with one flag at most or something, and it would really fit them, then it's maybe a good time to extract it in something like a shared module to, and then the shared module can be of course imported in those other lazy features so that this component is then made available for those features. So this will also have like a positive benefit on the bundle size because we have only one implementation, which is used in multiple places, right? And maybe there as a side note, so basically what I've seen often is that uh, even after all these years, people still get a bit mixed up on like the modules and maybe that I have like a good tip which really helped me and my colleagues like when thinking about these things. So it's like the concept of a template context. So whenever I think about the module, I think about the template context. And this is very related to extracting of a component from a feature into our shared module, which we just started with, right? So 
what actually happens there. So basically we have a, we have a component in the lazy feature A and to be able to use it in that feature, we have to put it in the declaration of that lazy module A, right? And once it's in those declarations, then we can use it in those other components which belongs to that feature. So how can we make it so that if we extract this view component into a shared module, that we can still use it in that lazy feature A? So the first most obvious thing is we remove it from the declaration of the lazy feature and we put it into the declaration of that shared module. But, and then we, and then we import that shared module in our lazy feature A. But this is not enough actually. We also have to export that component from the shared module, else it would be private for that module, shared module template context. So the other component in the shared module could use that component, but not the consumers of the shared module itself. So they're like the rule is like that the module is a template context. And that means like that the components, pipes and directives, so the things which are related to template can use each other in the template. And what is in it is the declarations of the module and all the stuff which was exported by the modules which we are importing. So it maybe sounds like a lot, but like the very classical example, which gets us back to our example is we start with the component view component, which we want to reuse in our lazy feature. It was in the declarations. We remove it from the declarations, put it into the declarations of the shared module and also into the exports of the shared module. And that means when we import our shared module in the lazy feature A, it will provide us because it was exported with that component, it ends up in our template context of that lazy feature A. And because of that, we can again use that component in our template of those other components. So there's like a small side note, yeah. I want to add a little bit to that. What I do in these particular scenarios, just to save a little bit on typing, I'm creating an array of my components within shared module, right? So you have this variable and then you just import it and export it, right? That's a very good tip. I mean, visually it's looking very much nicer because otherwise you have to copy the same values in import, array and export. But exactly. in this particular case, you have just one single array. But there is one downside. When you create a component with ng uh, g, it automatically gets added into import. It sticks uh, the last item in this array. So you have to, you have to cut it <laughs> from there and put it in your array. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's, it's a very, it's a very good practice. Like I also use it, uh, in, in my projects because as you said, uh -huh. like you have to duplicate it. So it's also kind of like unnecessary lines of code, like just like manually putting things in two places. Yeah. Right. And so I also use it. And this again, like it's a great example to illustrate our previous point, which is if we would have in a shared module, a component which we only make, which we, which kind of should be like internal. So it's used by the other components in the shared module. If this would be for some reason the case that we have some tiny widget, which is really used for like 10 others in the shared, but we do not really want to expose it. Then we would not put it into that array, but only the declarations that way it's not exported. So actually those lazy features would not be able to use that component. But that's like another great example, like to illustrate the overall point. And it's a very good practice. 
And so, so now we have this shared library, right? Which we, we can use within, I mean, there is different use cases. It could be a monorepo situation, right? So maybe you have like a one single CLI configuration for all your uh, applications within this CLI configuration, including your shared library, or you have like a multiple uh, range of different applications. And actually what you do, you distribute in this shared library, like an APM module, right? So there is like different use cases. What sort of thinking behind the designing components and libraries for scale. Definitely. So basically we started like with the component and the feature, right? Then we realized we maybe can reuse it across mm -hmm. multiple features. So we extracted into a shared module of a single application. And then like the next logical step in like large organization could be to extract it into a library, be it like a really standalone library, which is distributed or be it in a monorepo doesn't really change much in that case because it's even that much more reusable, right? So this could be also on multiple levels. So maybe it's really just some like kind of like a, a organization specific widget. I don't know, like it could be, you know, stuff like document manager or whatever. So like on more like on like business level, so like business style reusable components, but it could be also really just like the base component library, something similar to Angular Material so that the organization needs to have like a really their own custom design style. So they would want to implement their own drop down type ahead, uh, uh, checkbox, whatever that is just to fulfill like the, the, their own design system, right? So there again, we have part, many different use cases and we have to think about it. So it's, it's important to acknowledge that, that there will be differences. So, and let's speak, for example, about the example of like this component library, which is used across kind of like the internal angular material to be used across multiple applications, right? So there are a couple of concerns which can make this effort uh, much more likely to succeed. So I kind of like in practice seen like when it goes right, where it goes midway, where it goes wrong. And from that, there have been like many lessons learned about what are some important things to consider when, when, when trying to make a component that reusable so it can work on that kind of scale that it's really used across the whole organization, for example. And like the first thing which really comes to mind based on experience is, is to make it basically translation library independent and state management independent. So in that case, I think it's very like one of the most important things are basically to focus on be like on the concept of independence, which or decoupling, which can then like in practice mean like uh, translation solution independence and state management independence. And this to achieve this, we will uh, basically converge on some small set of practices which make this happen. And like one of the most important things there is like whenever we are writing these reusable components, even like in our application so that we maybe extract them later is to focus on not passing in data as a data structure through input, but passing in data through the template, so through the content projection. So now, what do I mean there? Let's take an example of something like which everybody of us knows, like a dropdown. So we have a dropdown, and maybe 
like the first thing which comes to our mind when we want to implement like organization specific dropdown is that we will have an input in our component, for example, called options or items or data or whatever that is. And we will so like passing an array, right? Exactly. We would receive an array of items and maybe then we define like a TypeScript interface. We will say like that this array of items will have like a value and a label. It sounds very good. Like it makes perfect sense right now. And if we do that, then we get this array internally in the dropdown and we can use that array to render the items and do all the interactions and highlighting and search and whatever we want, right? It's, we are, we are in full control. It's very, very convenient to work like this because it's, it, it's like the whole component is kind of like a black box. So we have access to everything and we just give the user some even maybe we also implement like the control value accessor. So we make it work with the template driven forms and reactive forms fulfilling the interface. Right? So this sounds very good, but what are actually some problems which may not be so obvious, like on the first hand. So let's say we have a like a multi-language application. Now, what does, what is the implication of this approach with the multi-language application is that this will force other developers in our organization to pre-translate those labels, right? So they would need to pass in data, which is pre-translated. That would be one option, which usually then it's turns the whole thing asynchronous, even though maybe it would not need to be, and it's just a bit annoying to do, or the other possibility would be that we choose some specific um, uh, internationalization solution and we use the translation pipe inside our implementation of our dropdown. So we expect that the label which comes, it's not the label itself, but it's like the key to be translated, right? So this would be possible. But in that case, we are forcing some translation solution on all of our consumers so that they have to provide and feed the translations into the translation mechanism. So this could be NGX translate. This could be translocal. This could be the native one from Angular with the Ivy stuff with this translate tag templates, or it could be some organization custom one, right? But the point is we are kind of forcing all of our consumers to stick with that solution, even though maybe something better comes along the way, or they just really do not feel comfortable, or they would like to deprecate the custom one. They can't, they are, have to stick with that. Now, another problem which can happen is that, uh, this can happen in like large organization that we do not only need to translate like the language. But what can happen is maybe we need to translate like some business codes and stuff like that. Now, how do we make that work in that dropdown, which is like a black box, right? So how do we use two different translation pipes based on context? We need to start like introducing additional flags. It's normal translation is this is that, right? So it gets very nasty very quickly. So as we can see, there is like a pretty huge price, which comes after that when we choose to do it like this, if we just pass in the, the data structure through input, it's easy to implement first, but then as the requirements change, as the time goes, we are stick like with a very large bill, which is very hard to pay when we have many consumers. So now what would be the better approach as it turns out based on experience? We should, if we have like this drop down again. So what about instead of passing in the data through the input, what if we passing drop down items through the content projection. So we have a drop down and then inside we have like a drop down item. And for example, with NG4, 
we iterate over our array of items. So what is like the first benefit of that is we are iterating that item and then we can uh, pro basically print the label of that item in the template so we can use any pipe we want, right? So it's, it's the consumer application which chooses the translation pipe because the developers in the consumer application that say my organization drop down item from the data structure ng4 some data and that the item dot special code pipe business code translation pipe or whatever that is or just translocal translation pipe or just ngx translation pipe so it's the consumer application and its developers which can choose because it happens in their template not in the template of the of the component library. So this is this kind of independence. Now, another huge benefit of that is that we can basically create any kind of layout. So we provide like the dropdown, we provide the dropdown item. We will do the wiring behind the scenes as a library author. So we have to probably get those items with the view children. We have to register the listeners. We have to manage the state that something was selected, search and stuff like that. But what it allows us to do is, for example, to provide any kind of other layout with this content projection. So we can provide something like a, a group or like a group separator or like an image or whatever that is. It leaves a lot of uh, free room for the like implementers of that consumer application to pass there anything. So the label doesn't necessarily only need to be string. The label can be also the image. They are free to do that, right? So they are in control. Ah, right. It's the consumers now can have more room to decide what translation libraries they want to use. And so there is, and this approach gives them uh, more flexibility, right? Exactly. Which is kind of, which is kind of cool. It's, it's yeah. very good for the consumers. Nice. It's also very good for the library because, um, you basically stuff evolves, right? That's the, that's the way it is. And whenever we couple some kind of stuff, which we did not need to couple this, then creates problems down the line when we would like to change something. Maybe some better approach comes down the line. Maybe Angular comes with like some uh, runtime translations out of the box. We would like to migrate. And then we realize, oh, it's very hard because now all these consumers are coupled to that solution. So if we would change it internally, we would break hundred consumers and what then? Right. Mm -hmm. So whenever we can decouple like the whole concept. So why should drop down force a translation that doesn't really make sense? Right. So that's like a very good example. But the co there is a co nothing is perfect. Right. So the cost of that is that the implementation of that drop down will be more complex compared to just receiving data through input. We have to get the view children. We can get those view children like asynchronously because they are rendered with ng4, which gets some stream with the async pipe. So they can also change over time. So we have to have in the drop down the mechanism to clean up and re-register everything. It works. It's just more complex to implement. So we kind of like pay it forward, right? So, but I think it's definitely worth it. Like the experience show that this is definitely worth it. Mm -hmm. So basically, there is two options. Uh, I mean, if if, it, if, it, if we will take this example with drop down, there is two options. Each of those, as you tell, has its own pros and cons. For some situation, maybe one approach is uh, the right one. For another situations, maybe another one. Definitely. So, like there again, the heuristics is if uh, if we have like one application and we just need a special drop down in, in multiple lazy features, then of course make it as simple as possible because if you 
evolve your application, evolve the whole thing together. So then it's not a problem that you hard code that like a translation pipe in your dropdown or something like that. But if you have many diverse consumer applications in a large organization, that most likely it will be more beneficial to be biased towards like decoupling of the concepts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a very good thing to acknowledge. There is no silver bullet, never. It's always about the particular environment and needs, definitely. And so by designing all these uh, awesome reusable components, did you come across uh, any other uh, best practices? Is there anything else you might want to share? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so this one is probably like the biggest one. Then uh, now more like uh, meta or how to say, so it's not like necessarily like code related, but um, what often happens is like that people start designing these components libraries in the organization based on some preliminary designs and stuff like that. And maybe they pay like really attention. Okay, I have a library. Oh, that's another thing which you can say like to structure like your component library with the sub-entries, Angular sub-entries with ng-packager, which makes it perfectly tree shakeable. That's just something like to check it out because that will really help you. But maybe it's out of scope of this, this talk, but just keep it in mind and check it. So, but exactly. So people will really pay a lot of consideration to like the over architecture. Okay. We have a sub-entry so that all the components are perfectly tree shakeable. We have, uh, we probably always use the template approach for, so that we get this independence of the translations, independence of the state management. We, we have a clean code, all this kind of stuff. But what often is forgotten is kind of like uh, on this higher level, like to, which is related to styling to have like something like a really well thought through design system. And that's something which I saw that sometimes come as afterthought because it's not so technical because it's not even the styles itself. It's more like what types of components, what variations of components are we going to support and what kind of teams maybe we are going to support. So it's not even like, do I use CSS variable? Do I use stylus? Do I use SAS, SCSS? Do I use this kind of variables? Not even that maybe, but it's more like on that higher level. So if I have a button, what are all the possible variations of button? Do I know this beforehand or I just start with first two buttons and then I go as, then I just go as the requirements come because this then leads to like a very inconsistent, like not even the styles implementation, but the naming, which is then confusing for the consumers. Right? So it's really, it's on this higher level. So with the example, let's, let's say something like a card, which is pretty common, like nowadays in, in designs of most applications, something like a card. So maybe we start like with some like prominent raised card with like a strong shadow. And then maybe we need like some flat card for like some secondary content. Right. And we start with that. We implement this perfect. And then maybe like we realize two months in that, oh, we would actually like to use that flat card also on the gray background, but it's great to start with. So we don't really see it. Hmm. So maybe we add like has border, but then like some, oh, we realized that there is this new business flow, which has like a blue background. So then we say like, okay, has border is secondary. And then maybe there is like a red and then we have a button and there we call it not like has border, but we call it border or stroked. And then maybe we have like a checkbox and sometimes it's like with the border and sometimes race and, and it gets out of hand very quickly if it's not systematized. So it's, and so there, I think like that was like the, one of the biggest lessons learned that, uh, it's very important to have in place 
like a system of what can exist. So and what do I mean? So let's say we, again with this example of card. So what we could do instead of this naive approach, just keep adding stuff as they come, classes as they come, names as they come, we can say like, okay, we are going to have four different types of card, maybe like the raised, flat, stroked, whatever that is. And maybe we're gonna have four teams or we know we are gonna need teams eventually. So we have a default team, blue team, gray team, whatever that is, right? And if you think about it, it kind of creates like a table. So you could visualize it literally like a table. You can have four different types. So you have four different cards under each other. And then you have four columns with four teams. And if you visualize it, you get like the whole option space of what kind of cards can exist. And it doesn't mean you have to implement all of them. Maybe you do not need all of them, but this is what can exist. And because of its systematized, it will also, you can land to like well-defined names, which always makes sense. Another great thing about this system is that you just can keep adding rows. You can keep adding columns for another teams and you could even kind of go to like this third dimension. So not just like the 2D table, it can get into a cube. So for example, modifiers, which can apply to any kind of, of those cards. So for example, the blue primary, oh, sorry, the blue raised card can be also is large or is small, right? So as a third dimension, you can add like this kind of modifiers. And when you have this, you have like a whole option space, what could exist. And then you just implement from that what you need, but it will always have this nicely well-defined name, which is predictable, which will not get any conflicts and it will be consistent across different components. And you can keep adding additional rows and columns and like the slices in the back, like the cube or how to say it. So you can just, you can really extend it. So if the designer come like in half a year, you know, like we have this system and like it really covers 99% of our needs, but we would really need this one here. So again, you have two options. Either you extend your system so it becomes part of the system or you say, okay, we can really have this one outlier, no problem. Like, but as long as 99% is like standardized, right? Then this really makes it much more easier for all the consumers because it's predictable. It also makes it much easier for you to maintain because it's predictable because you are following the system. So this is like one of the big lessons learned, which I think can make like a huge impact. Mm -hmm. And this system, is it basically just, is, is it like a list of all components? Yeah, you can uh, you know, have like, it. Is it like a guide or yeah, something? So, so actually you can have like the, the simplest way to do it would be just to have basically two lists. So those are the types, those are the teams. So as long as you have those, you can, of course, you can visualize it for your components and most likely you're gonna do it. Like the designers need to provide the designs. You need to provide the implementation. Then you probably have some showcase about your component library. So you, it will be also visual, but to start with, you have to realize how many variations of a component will I need? Do I need three variations of the card? Do I need five variation? And you, and you give it some well-known names, some generic names. So it can be primary, secondary, tertiary, it can be raised, flat, stroke, like, so it's more like descriptive. How many teams will I have? I know I have a default team and maybe this can be like just colorful that like gray, blue, red, whatever. This can be like 
business related so we have a sales team we have a product team we have a user management team right it, it can be whatever but you try to define them and then based on that you have this space and again like you can paint it like to see it you can just implement it and see it in a showcase right but uh, to have this well-defined space will make things so much more consistent and simple like down the line and again you you can extend it right and everyone like on the same page because you can point anyone to this uh, system they can see right away what's there it's easy to keep everyone on the same page exactly. at the same time it's much easier to onboard new people exactly right so you just point them out hey that's our guide like literally everybody <laughs> wins because then like the consumers have the predictable names they know what to expect you win as an implementer of the library because you just don't have to think like hardly to well, how to make it consistent right the consistency is a very very valuable thing when working on anything so this is uh yeah definitely and so uh, it is it seems like one of the first things to think about uh before even you start <laughs> to write any code right 100%. so you don't, have, you don't want to start writing any code unless you define these guides definitely because it has a big impact on naming right so mm-hmm. we do not want to get to a situation where we have like uh my organization drop down secondary but then like my organization card like stroked and then like my organization button whatever dashed or not dashed like stroke bordered so it's kind of like three names for the same concept so we would we never want to end up in that situation and without the system of course we're going to end up in that situation Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I like, I agree on naming. So naming should be consistent in any part of your source code. Exactly. <laughs> so right. not only when it comes to designing a component libraries, I think. Exactly. Um, now we're probably moving uh, to the next part of the show, which is tips and tricks for beginners and how to avoid a common pitfalls. So do you have to say anything about it? Any tips and tricks? Uh, definitely. So one of the things which I seen often was that uh, it can look very attractive to call methods in the template of a component, right? Sometimes it really just looks so attractive to create some methods which you call them with uh, uh, like interpolation with these double curly braces in your in your template. And it can also be okay if it's like a very simple logic, right? But then what also happens over time is usually that the logic in those methods grows. And then of course, if we use, let's say, a default change detection, then this, uh, this method can be called many times per second in a larger applications when there's a lot of change detection happening, which does lead into real performance issues also in a very like innocently looking application. I seen like application which was like a simple list of items with just couple of fields and it was stuttering so badly even if you just wanted to scroll it or like just open some some editor or something. It was or like going to the next page. It was it was insane like how how performance was degraded by this innocently looking calls of methods. So Again, it's kind of like hard to figure out because sometimes it it can be okay for a very long time, but then once it gets bad, then it's kind of hard to fix. So what I always recommend is to try to really not call the methods 
in the template with this double curly braces, in, like template interpolation, but rather, because why do you want to call a method? Because you want to get some derived data usually, right? So if you, if you, if you, if you had the perfect data from through the input or however, you would not want to call the method. You would just render the property. So if you are calling the method, that means you want some derived data to show in your template. So then, yeah, if you use something like NGRX, create your derived data in the selector. If you use just plain component is in the view component, you are getting some data through input, for example, then maybe what it would be better to do is to instead go with the ng on changes lifecycle hook, which is fired whenever the value in the input changes, right? And then if you need any kind of derived data, you can calculate it in that ng on changes and store it in a property just to access in a template. So that way you only maybe calculate it once when the input changes instead of 50 times per second in a complex application with a lot of change detection. So in that case, even like the innocent methods can cause harm if we have like 50 uh, list items. And then in all of those, you go through like a list of 20 tags or users and you want to filter some, right? And then imagine how much of an iteration you get every second if you have, you know, it, it, it grows exponentially. So like a very good tip there is, I think, to always try to solve the derived data problem in other way than to call methods in the template. So one could be if you use state management solution to pre-calculate all the data in the selectors. Another could be if you don't to uh, pre-calculate your derived state in engine changes, which is called so <laughs> often, right? So this does, like I seen that in practice where this made a huge change. So, and I seen applications which grew and they were just doing it all over the place. And then it was very hard to solve those performance problems because if you remove any of those methods, it doesn't magically solve your problem. It's just all of them together. So it's kind of like a death by a thousand tiny cuts, right? So that's, that's something which is pretty important. That's more like general, like implementing components in your application in terms of like for, yeah, when implementing like a component library, then really the most important, I think, is just to decouple the stuff. So go more with the content projection than, than with the passing in the data. So, right. Um, it seems like uh, we covered a lot today, the discussing all these uh, approaches, how to design your own component library. Thomas, do you have any blog articles to share and your eventually Twitter handle? Oh yeah, of course. So we, as we, as we know, we, today we touched like a lot of things. So it was most about the components, but you might have noticed that we always came like also like from this bigger picture of like the architecture with like the, where to put those components to use the lazy loaded features and stuff like that. And then I also mentioned stuff like uh, sub entries for the components library. So to make it reshakeable and all those topics are covered in the three blog posts. One is like the best architecture for Angular application. Another one is like the best practices for architecture of the component libraries. Another one like best practices, like overall for the component libraries, like stuff like this design system and so on. And I think uh, we can provide all those links in the in the bio of the of the podcast right and besides that if you are interested in this kind of stuff i do 
write articles from time to time based on the experience. So and I usually announce it on the on the Twitter so you can follow me at Thomas Tryan altogether all small. And besides that, um, you can also check like thomastryan.com where you can see like all the other open source projects and the talks and, and other blog posts. And also if you are working any of those larger enterprise organizations and you have a lot of applications and you would like to get like some support, I do provide ad hoc consulting and maybe you can also benefit by using Omniboard. You can check it at omniboard.dev. Mm -hmm, right. Um, I put all the links into the show notes. Uh, thank you, Thomas, for being with us today. I'm Alexey Kuncevich, and this is Angular Rocks. See you in the next episode. Thank you very much, Alexey. See you, folks. Have a great day. Hey, Alexey here again. I'm excited to share with you that finally I'm publicly releasing my Angular learning program. I've been developing it for a very long time. The registration is now open at ngstart.dev. The program consists of one hour free live workshop precursor followed by a series of interactive workshops, which will teach you how to go from zero to production, advanced Angular concepts and best practices. As a sign of appreciation for your support, I'm offering a promo code that you can redeem with any paid workshops. Please use ngrocks during the registration at ngstart.dev. It's spelled like ngstart.dev. Check out the show notes for more details. Bye for now.